Borukata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Kitshanu B'mitzvotav V'tivanu La'asok B'divrei Torah, Veharevna Adonai Eloheinu Et Divrei Torateka Befinu Ufi Amka Betisrael, Veniea Naknu Veza Etzeenu Veza Etzee Amka Betisrael Kulanu Yodea Shemeka, Velomde Torateka Lishma, Baruch Ata Adonai Hamlamet Torah Leamo Yisrael, Baruch Haba B'Shem Adonai. I'd like to welcome you to the Beshalak C class officially. It's been a wonderful, wonderful start to the week, uh, getting ready with an Aliyah day, the first reading, uh, because Cap asked me to guest host the Aliyah day, and I was like, what? No, I don't want to do that. Of course I wanted to do that. So anyway, anytime I can help out my Abba, I'm totally good with that. So, um, but yeah, so I've been uh, working on some insights for that, and then I was like, you know what? I still got to do the C class. Oh my goodness. So, Avengers assemble, uh, and let us say class is in session. So, Matityahu chapter 14, starting at 22 through 33, is our reading this week. And of course, it's talking about Kepha walking on water. And I'm like, seriously, because on the, on the Analia Day first reading, I got into how us living our life in this faith and not looking around us and whatever all the craziness and chaos that's going on in the world, like that would be like us staring at, um, you know, the waves and the tumultuous sea that Kepha looked at that caused him to sink and began to drown. And I literally ended the Aliyah day with about how not to drown, how not to get taken out and all this kind of stuff. Just as my, kind of my last message to everyone. And so anyway, I just thought that was, uh, you know, interesting how that all connected and tied up to what is the Basora passage this week. So really excited. And I'm very grateful to Hashem. And there is a big smile on my face that Hashem is all Bluetooth like that. Tuchelet tooth, as Dr. Sakal likes to call it. Because, I mean, it's not a coincidence that I was talking about Kepha walking on water. And that's what Parsha Beshalak is about. Walking on water. It's a faith test. Yeah, faith test. As in, you're going to get tested in what you are doing. Because Kepha could have believed he was going to walk on water all day. But if he didn't, he would have never done it. Like if we say we believe in God... But we never do what believing in God is, which, by the way, is just so happens to be, I don't know, taking his yoke upon us and, I don't know, listening to his voice. I don't know, being obedient to his commandments, you know, stuff like that. If we never get to do that, then we we're not really believing in God. I mean, it's a nice little thought. It's like, oh, man, I would love to have pancakes today because I love pancakes. Well, guess what? If you don't go buy pancakes and cook them, you ain't going to have pancakes. Unless you just have someone super awesome that will bring you the pancakes, but some kind of action has to be taken. So anyway, let's get into this passage of Matid Yahu. It's important to know it's in the middle of the night, okay? Because when the Yom Suf was being split, it happened overnight, and by the time they began to walk in the water, it was Shakarit time. Okay, so just keep that in mind as a backdrop. 
because in our passage here, the Talmudim are in a boat and it's nighttime. So 22 says right away, Yeshua made the Talmudim get into the boat, get in the boat, get in the ark and go ahead of him to the other side. I want y'all to go ahead of me. Okay, I want y'all to get used to, you know, going where I'm leading you, even though I'm going to come from behind you. And I, and I talked in the Aliyah that Hashem leads us through the sea while being with us and behind us all at the same time. So what is that? Anyway, Yeshua is giving us a little dose of that. Because where Yeshua is sending us, he's already there. But yet, he's behind us and he's with us all at the same time. I mean, come on, man. It's crazy. I mean, if Loki can do it, I'm sure Yeshua could do it. I'm just saying. Loki duplicates himself all the time and takes on manifestations of other people all the time. But yet, nah, Torah can't do that. Spirit of God can't do that. Yeshua can't do that. Shem can't do that. Okay, this one time when a super villain completely outdoes a Shem. I'm sorry. Really? Is that what we're going to go with? Anyway, I digress. Verse 23. Oh, side note, the end of that verse says, while he sent the crowds away. So crowds go away. Uh, my disciples are already in the boat and they're going to the other side. So y'all, let's class dismiss. Okay, 23. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the hillside by himself to pray. Yeshua is doing some Ma'ariv service, okay? So here it goes. So Mashiach did Ma'ariv, so we should probably do it too. And it says, and when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long way from land, tossed around by the waves, for the wind was against it. Selah for a second. Mashiach was alone, apparently. Talmudim in a boat, long way away. Little footnote over here says, many stadia. One stadion is about 600 feet. Okay, so we got a football field times six. Okay, so just take that thing out there. 100 yards, football field, right? So, you know, how many yards are in a foot? Do all these calculations right. I mean, you're just looking out, and it's just like they are out there, okay? Mashiach's on the hillside, so he's going to have to come down the hill, go out into the lake, and go get the Talmudine because they're being treated like a, a maraca. So they're, they're doing brakas while being shook up like maracas. I think that is very, very prevalent to our lives. Sometimes we just feel so shaken up, and yeah, Hashem's like, where them brakas at? And we like... Baruch Adonai, just shaking and trembling, and it's just like, I don't know what's going to happen anymore, you know, like, I don't know about this rent money, I don't know about my car, I don't know about my job, I don't know about my kids, I don't know about my wife, I don't know about anything, Hashem's like, where the, where the brock is at? So anyway, it's just, you know, something to think about, because all of it is testing us, you know, Hashem is, is all powerful, He can do anything, so it's time for us to start believing that, you know, like, let's believe Hashem can do anything. And that the biggest anything that I, I've been really just trying to work on is Hashem can bring the redemption. 
in our time. So, Baruch Ababa Shem Adonai. Amen. Let the resurrection begin. I want to see a kosher resurrection. I'm tired of seeing zombie movies. I mean, not me, myself, personally. But I'm tired of him laying like, oh, new zombie movie coming out. <laughs> it's like, okay, seriously. So, we're conditioning the world to think that when dead people come back, we need to snap their necks. Like, what are we doing? Because when the resurrection happens, they're not going to be zombies. They're going to be people. They're going to be alive. They're not going to eat your your brains. They're not going to eat your flesh. You don't have to worry about getting a disease from them. But, you know, I digress. Just things that I hope for and things that are actually within the realm of possibility. But do we have the fortitude, the chutzpah to believe Hashem can do it? Because he will at some point. So if he's going to at some point, why would we limit him to say he can't do it now? We just don't know the day or the hour. That's that's our hang up. So so really, if you think about what Hashem is setting us up for, just kind of, you know, line those dots up. So. They're doing brakas while being shaken up like maracas. Because the wind was against it. Okay, the wind was doing all this. Hashem caused the wind to divide up the waters and parsha boom shakalaka, right? So in verse 25, it says, Now in the fourth watch of the night, which is about, if we look at Roman time, which is our current time that we use, like our military hours here. But if you look at the halakhic times, like the Hebrew Jewish times, it'd be a lot different. But because we're so in the Roman exile, we don't really know what the fourth watch is, and that's myself included, you know. But according to the the time on the Roman calendar, it is between three to six a.m. So we're talking before light of dawn, before we can put our zitzit on and wrap to feeling that time frame. Before our morning blessings start, it was during the fourth watch of the night, Yeshua came to them. So just before sunrise is the phrase, because when the redemption happens, and it will, that will be considered sunrise. Because the redemption happens like sunrise. So if you really think about the implications of that with what Mashiach is doing right here, it's like, well, before redemption, I'm going to come to you walking on the sea in this fourth watch of the night, in this last part of the final exile. I'm going to start start up the miracles. I'm going to start doing some things that test your faith, but simultaneously will draw you closer to me, which will be drawing you closer to Hashem. And by the way, for those who uh, don't think Mashiach is the Mashiach, like Yeshua is Mashiach, Mashiach is supposed to be that one who connects us and binds us with Hashem. And so if you think about all the Mashiachs that have been proclaimed throughout history, you got to run it through the test. Am I being drawn near to Hashem because of this person? And furthermore, is this person without sin? Because if they are with sin, they're on the same boat that I'm in. And therefore, I could literally raise myself up to be a Mashiach if that's the case. Because, I mean, I'm pretty good, you know. Like, we could literally think that. Because 
if we're going to base our belief in Mashiach that he's some man other than Yeshua, then what we're really saying is anybody can be Mashiach as long as they're righteous and they draw us to Hashem. So what's to stop you from believing in so-and-so down the street who just got into Torah and they're walking in righteousness for six weeks? It's like, oh, it's Mashiach, oh my gosh. Okay, but anyway, just some more logic to kind of bring in as far as you know, not believing Mashiach is going to be divine, first of all, and not believing that Yeshua would be Mashiach, next of all. Like, I mean, when you really start to think about it, it's kind of crazy that Yeshua will be rejected as Mashiach for the sake of a man being seen as Mashiach. But if you understand Mashiach ben Yosef, then that would be the thing because... Many generations or every generation has a quote-unquote Mashiach. And notice I say a Mashiach, key word being a Mashiach, not the Mashiach. Because the Mashiach is over every generation, which is why he's the righteous man that Hashem took from among his brothers to die for the sins of his generation. And then we say that Yeshua, his sacrifice, brought atonement for all generations. That's because all generations are his generation. Anyway, so Yeshua came to them walking on the sea before Shacharit. Verse 26. But when the Talmudim saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. Why? Because this is the the height of paranormal activity. Around that 3 a.m. time, things get really strange, you know. Hence why, you know, when you really look at midnight Torah study and some of the things you can do uh, during the night while you're sleeping, you know, that's to counteract and, uh, you know, stamp those things out. So here's what they say. It's a ghost. And they cried out with fear. Isn't that interesting? They're like, oh, there's this floating thing on the water. It's stormy out here. They're, oh, this is anti-Holyville. Like, why did, where is Yeshua? Why did he do this to us? Oh, my gosh. Now, on top of being a, uh, a maraca braca, you're, uh, you're freaked out because now there's this ghost. Verse 27. But immediately Yeshua spoke to them, saying, Take courage, don't be afraid. Oh my goodness, did not Moshe say that to the children of Israel? Stand firm, the Lord will deliver you today. You'll see the salvation of Hashem today. Yeshua's like, all right, the salvation of Hashem is right here. Don't be afraid, take courage, I'm here. It's Kepha, gotta love Kepha. Verse 28, answering, Kepha said to him, okay, master, rabbi, if it's you, Command me to come to you on the water. You know, if you really think about this, they think this is a ghost. The The ghost, as they think, is speaking and he says, no, it's it's OK. Don't be afraid. And Kafe was like, wait, 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 what? Master, is that you? You look like a ghost right now. What is this? And he's like, well, fine. If that's you, then tell me to come to you. I don't care what you look like. Just. I know you're you. You said I am who I am. You know, okay, I get it. Okay, so if it's you, just call me to you. This is crazy right now. It's, I know it's early it's re- or late or early. I don't know whether it's late or early because I've been up all night because we're 
we're being treated like a maraca right now. We we're just trying to stay alive. And 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 Ghost Mashiach over here is is like walking on the water and whatnot, telling us to calm down. It's like, dude, do you see what's happening right now? Well, you know what? Sorry for calling you dude. Uh master, if that's you, comedy. That's that's K for everybody else. We don't know what they were doing. So we can't speak to that, but we can speak to the chutzpah of Kepha to be like, you know what? Fine. This is a crazy situation. Let me just elevate this thing. And this is my personality. I'm like, if we're supposed to have the faith that we're supposed to have because we can do all things through Mashiach who strengthens us, why are we not? If we can hasten the redemption, why are we not? If we can bring Mashiach, then why ain't we? This is my Mike Tyson face. Okay, anyway. Can't see my radio face. I have a beautiful face for radio and you can't even see it. But anyway. It says. Okay, in verse 29. Okay, Yeshua said. Okay, Bo. Come on with your bad self. Come on with it. And Kepha got. Listen, y'all. One of the things is Hashem can say, 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 say. Mashiach can say, 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 say. But if we don't do, 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 we're going to be in the same boat, pun intended, just getting tossed. But when we hear Hashem tell us to do something, boy, I tell you if we don't act on it. So listen, and Kepha got out of the boat, okay. Again, Ghost Mashiach over here says, get out the boat. Come on over here. Hello. If I step off this boat, I'm going to get caught up in a wave of some sort. If not a wave, a wind. If not a wind, probably a big fish like the one that swallowed Jonah. Probably a shark. Probably sink and drown to death because of the riptide or the current or whatever's going on. I'm safer in the boat. However, I believe that's my master out there, even though it's really, I think maybe, I don't know, probably a ghost. But the way that I'm asking him to say that he's not a ghost is to tell him that he needs to command me to come to him. So I need a commandment. So I guess. All right. Here we go. I mean, do you get this? Do you see this right now? Can you just put yourself in that position? Because I'm just I'm in awe about this. Like it's three in the morning. What in the world? Like, okay, Shakarit's in a few hours. They're literally going to be saying, priests to your sacrifices, Levites to your platform, Israelites to your station. That really loud guy called it goodbye. Like, he's really going to be saying that in a few hours. But right now, right now, it's getting real. So anyway, I just think that's amazing. So Kepha gets out of the boat and walked on the water to go to Yeshua. Listen, y'all, we can do supernatural things depending on where we are going. What is our direction? Most people want supernatural things with with a carefree of whatever direction it is. Oh, God got me, y'all. Girl, he took care of my bills and did all this. Where were you headed? Oh, I'm thinking about doing this or I'm thinking about doing that. It's like, how did Kepha walk on the water? He was commanded to. And then when he was commanded to do so, he didn't just kind of just go walk around all around the boat on different sides and walk to the other side of the lake. No, he went towards Mashiach. 
So all of our miracles should be towards Mashiach. This is why when you're keeping the Shabbat and you don't really have much money and the last of your money you're going to use to pay your tithe, well, shouldn't be using the last of your money to pay your tithe. That's not good. So let's, let's use a different example, shall we? You're going to use the last of your money to celebrate the Shabbat. You're like, well, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it, you know, on my budget because Shabbat's coming up. But, you know, I'm going to get some candles. I'm going to get some challah. I'm going to get some wine or grape juice. And uh, I'm going to celebrate the Shabbat. You'll be surprised. Just because you did that, Hashem's going to make a miracle for you to walk on the proverbial water and carry you through. Somebody's going to hook you up with food for Odeg. Somebody's going to invite you over for third meal and Havdalah. Somebody's going to be like, hey, you want to hang out on Yom Rishon? Or, hey, can I take you out to lunch sometime? Or somebody's probably just going to put Zadaka somewhere in one of your pockets or your bag or or they'll leave you a little envelope somewhere or something. You might get a phone call. I mean, who knows what will happen? These things have all taken place at Sar Shalom. So I'm just saying, if we're going towards Mashiach, which, by the way, is the Torah. So if you're going in your Torah observance, Hashem is going to cause you to walk on water. Things are just not going to be what they seem. It's just like this does not look good right now. I don't know how this is going to work. Hashem, if, if this is you, call me to you. He's like, all right, cool. Shema Yisrael. Do my Torah. Do my mitzvot. And it's like, okay, so I do my mitzvot. And then Hashem's like, all right, now I'm going to do my part. One of the things that I wanted to bring up was um, this Midrash Rabadrop from Parsha Bo. If I can find it, because I take so many pictures. What is wrong with me? Uh, seventeen five brings this up and says the Israelites were occupying themselves with roasting their Pesach offerings, and in turn, Hakadosh Baruchu was killing the firstborn of Mitzrayim. So footnote on that. As they roasted the meat of their offerings in the fire, the fire of God's wrath consumed the flesh of the Egyptian firstborn. Alternatively, the Egyptians worshipped the lamb, which is the first, Bekor, like the firstborn, of the twelve signs of the zodiac. Thus, as the Israelites slaughtered the Egyptians' deity, God in parallel slaughtered their firstborn sons. Continuing, it says, and they were sprinkling the blood of the Pesach on their doorposts. And in turn, God's great name was standing guard at their doors and preserve and preventing the destroyer from entering. And they were occupying themselves with reciting the Hallel, which is called a hymn, as is written in the Gospels. It says, Mashiach and his Talmudim left and headed out for the garden while they were singing a hymn. That hymn that they were singing is called the Hallel which is actually a rabbinic commandment. So Mashiach did rabbinic stuff. Going on to say, which means he was a Pharisee, going on to say they were reciting the Hillel to God and with fulfilling the laws of the Pesach. And in turn, God was distinguishing between the Israelites and the Egyptians, arranging that the shed blood of the impure Egyptians should atone for the pure for the blood of the pure Israelites, as it is stated, Hashem redeems the soul of his servants. 
The Israelites were occupied with fulfilling God's commandments as they were grinding flour and kneading dough for the mitz- for the matzot. And in turn, Hakadosh Baruchu was uprooting the saplings of Egypt, i.e., killing their firstborn. As it is stated, "Rise up, Hashem, in your anger; become exalted through your fury against my tormentors." So when you really look at like all this miraculous things and Hashem providing and making a way, it's Mita Kenega Mita. You're going to do something crazy for him. He's going to do something crazy for you. You put a mezuzah up on your door and it's like, I don't even get it. I just, Hashem is like, thank you. Your house is now under my protection. You have now put yourself under witness protection because now you're going to witness for me and now I'm going to protect you. You've now decided to put on a kippah. You've now decided to put on a tekel, ladies. Uh, you've now decided to eat kosher. You know, Hashem is like, all right, cool. Let me let me do some things over here. So you indirectly affect other areas of your life when you start to operate in these mitzvot with the intent of going towards Hashem. Because contrary to popular belief, Mark 7 is what that's all about. Many people say that they're doing the mitzvot of Hashem, but they're walking away from him. Many people go, oh, yeah, my great, 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 great grandfather is Jewish. He's a big time Rebbe. And it's like, okay, and you are doing what? Because you can't live off of his merit. I mean, I guess you could. But I mean, how long is that going to get you? Because, I mean, if you're not doing the works, I mean, it's just like you believe in God and you have a form of godliness. You deny its power. So, I mean, I'm just saying because Mark 7, Mashiach brings down that your lips, you honor me, but your hearts are far from me. And it's a whole using that passage from Isaiah 29, by the way, to let the people know that their accusation of the Talmudim eating defiled food is completely off base. By the simple fact that you people are saying that you're with Hashem, but you're walking away from him. You're saying that the only way that their food cannot be defiled is if they do Netzilat Yadayim before they partake of Hamotzi. However, you're saying, no, I don't give my parents a DACA because I got to go tithe, mint, cumin, and dill. Excuse me, those things aren't to be tithed. If you want to tithe them, that's great. But not at the uh, cost, pun intended, of not taking care of family. Because the only thing you really need to tithe, it's already in the Shema. It tells you what you need to tithe. Your grain, your wine, your oil. You tithe that stuff. Now today, those of us who don't have grain, wine, and oil, guess what? What do we produce every week? We produce a paycheck. So you're supposed to tithe that. Anyway, so you got to know that if you are doing the works of God, operating in the righteousness of God, you make it of null and void when you are walking away from him. Kepha would have just looked really cool if he was walking on water away from Yeshua until the day he would have drowned. Until the, the minute, I guess, because it wouldn't have taken that long. Because it's like, hey, you're supposed to be walking to me. What do you think you're doing? You can't just take advantage of miracles like this. So, you know, we got to really think about, you know, where is our heart versus where our belief and our mind and our, our, our words are. You know, in the, in the Yeshayahu verse that Yeshua quotes, commentary on that says that one who honors Hashem uh, 
with their lips and their hearts are far from them. It's like a body without a soul. So Yeshua is saying it's what comes out of you that makes you defile. But in the parentheses, by this, Mashiach made all foods clean. Well, the only problem with that, he's saying, I mean, this is kind of crazy. Because the fact that that's a parentheses verse is like, well, just because you don't do netilat yadayim, like the hand washing ceremony, before you eat bread, that's cool. That's literally what that parenthetical statement is actually giving validity to. Not that pork is clean now and shrimp is clean because nowhere was those items in this case. Because if Yeshua was making all foods clean, then you're going to have to go back to Leviticus and delete one chapter. Go back to Deuteronomy and delete a chapter. I'm sorry. I thought we weren't supposed to take away or add from the word of God. Who's really doing that now? But if the Torah is not valid and it's not for today and it's not for you because you're not a Jew, then I guess you could do that. But anyway, we all know that just because you don't wash your hands before eating bread, that's really not sanitary. But I mean, OK, so what? I mean, that's a it's a rabbinic enactment for actually uh, practicing for eating of Taruma, because when you eat of Taruma, which is what the priestly portions are of the Corbinote, that uh, you do the hand washing. Because guess what? They're in the temple where the shiny labor is. And so by extension of the Netalat Yadigin practice, we're actually imitating the Kohanim. So when you look at the fact of us being a kingdom of priests and all of that, like, okay, that's where that stems from. But your food is not defiled and unclean just because you didn't do Netilat Yadayim. It's preferable that you do. Mashiach was okay with it. Because this is why it says some of your Talmudim don't wash their hands. Well, if you think about who his Talmudim were, they were a mixed bag. Some of them, it was amazing that they're standing in the room with other Jews because the type of person that they were, they would kill Jews. And not to mention the wild card Judas who was not selling anybody out yet. I mean, so come on. You really got to think about these things. And furthermore, when you think about observance, what do you think about the heart of a person? That's a stopping point. Because if you're more concerned about what somebody's doing versus who that person is, that's where you're going to get lost and drown in the proverbial sea of reeds every time. Because Hashem cares about who we are. Because when we correct and refine who we are, it will affect what we do. A person who's washing their hands and they haven't been transformed. Why are you even washing your hands? You might as well put the cup down. Don't even go to the wash station. Because if you're a person who's like, oh, I sleep with other women or I am OK with homosexuality and I'm, I'm all for it and I participate in it and I do drugs and I beat people, you know, and I eat meat strangled. OK, Netzidat Yadayim is like the least of your worries right now. So anyway, that's a little Mark 7 drop in the midst of all this. Just to say, when Kepha got out of the boat in Matthew 14, 29, he walked towards Yeshua. He wasn't just walking on the water just because it was like, look at me, guys. Back to the future ain't got nothing on me. Because there was a hoverboard scene where he was hoverboarding over the water and all that kind of stuff. But anyway. 
Kafer didn't have a hoverboard. Just saying. So, what are we doing with all of what Hashem is providing for us? What are we doing with it? And as we're going through life and Hashem is making awesome provisions for us, are we are we walking towards Him or are we not? So, going on, verse 30. Got three more verses. We can do this. But seeing the wind, he became terrified and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Master, Rabbi, save me. 31. Immediately, Yeshua reached out his hand and grabbed him, and he said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? What I love about this is there was a whole drop about Moshe praying. Um, what was it? Yeah, Moshe praying at the, for the sea to split and Moshe was doing his long prayer. Shem was like, uh, Moshe, I'm going to need you to stop doing a long prayer. I need you to go ahead and, and deliver my people. This is not a time for long prayer. Short prayer is totally fine. Let's go. Kepha was like, this is not a time for a long prayer. Short prayer is fine. Please help me. And then, furthermore, the you of little faith, why did you doubt? In the whole episode of turning back uh, and changing the course of direction, people were, were freaking out. So here it is in Legends of the Jews. It says, meantime, Moshe, who did not desire the departure of his people to have the appearance of flight before the Egyptians, gave the signal to turn back to P. Chayrot. I brought a whole drop down about that being the mouth of freedom. Says those of little faith among the Israelites tore their hair and their garments in desperation. Though Moshe assured them that by the word of God, they were free men and no longer slaves to Paro. There is a whole like you of little faith. Why did you doubt drop there? Like, don't even be like that. See if they, uh, if I put it in here. Mm. Nope, I didn't put it in there. But yeah, it does. It uses that term, uh, "you of little faith." Why did you doubt? For uh, for that whole section. So anyway, it's like uh, don't don't be freaked out. Like we're, yeah, we're in the middle of the wilderness right now, but this is on purpose. So don't doubt. So I just love that Kepha, you know, it's it's not looking good for him. And he just goes, you know what? Master, help me. Like I'm drowning. I thought this was, thought this was all cool. Party, party favors are up now. Okay. That's enough of this craziness, you know, because he says he saw the wind he became terrified, beginning to sink, and he cried out. Like that's a that's a recipe for okay. Well, you doubted Hashem, so now it's it's not going to be good. Same thing that happened that caused Amalek to come and attack us in the wilderness. That we literally lost our defense system of the clouds of glory because we doubted Hashem. Is Hashem with us or not? Hashem brought us out here to die. He was like, oh, you think I brought you out here to die? Okay, the zoo trip is over. Cut all the lights off. We're done. Because because they were surrounded in the clouds of glory, they couldn't tell whether it was day or night outside the clouds. I'm just saying. So, 
we have to remember that if we're going to go in this in this divine matrix, so to speak, which is, by the way, called a morphic field, which is what Mashiach has given us the opportunity to walk in, a morphic field of him saying, go out into all the nations, teach them to observe everything that I taught you and I'm with you. So no matter what we're going through, you got all this provision because I'm the way, the truth and the life. And if you really want to follow me, birds have nests or foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. So you have to remember, there's not a whole lot of fitting in going on here. There's a whole lot of outside the camp and in exile going on. But guess what? There's plenty of provision. However, if you're going to pay attention to all the details and the logistics and try to make it work out in your carnal mind, then uh, you can have fun taking care of all that. But if you want to forsake all that and seek first the kingdom of, of heaven and his righteousness, then now we're talking. Verse 31, immediately Yeshua reached out his hand and grabbed him and he said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Verse 32, when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. You know, it's like that whole. Uh, so in the X-Men 3 movie, X-Men United, the movie opens up with like this big old fight scene. And it's like, oh, my God, what is going on? It's the throwdown. Like it's crazy. Big machines, sentinels like going crazy. And all of a sudden it's like, all right, end simulation. And it's like a normal room and everybody's all packing it up. And Gene or... Uh, not Gene, <laughs> uh, Storm is talking to Wolverine like, come on, Logan, what's wrong with you? We work together as a team. He's like, yeah, so we defeated the enemy, so whatever. Anyway, I bring that up to say that that whole big scene that looked like this big, huge opening battle was just a simulation. So like the wind and the waves and the maraca baracas and everything, once Yeshua got in the boat, it was just a simulation. It was just, okay, and we're done. And it's kind of like, what was that? It is too early in the morning for that. Ugh. It's like, okay, so we ready to go for a Shakarit now? Uh, I think I think we just did Shakarit, Minka, and Marif all at the same time. So I, I think we're just going to need a moment. You know, like, that's just kind of the whole, like, you know what? I'll be right back. I got, I just need some time, you know, <laughs> like give, give me uh give me five minutes in the bathroom to kind of just, you know, I got, yeah. Anyway, you get the point. Hopefully you get the point as disturbing as it is, but the wind ceased when they got in the boat. I mean, imagine Kepha, was he wet at that point? Cause I mean, if he was walking on the water, I mean, we know it was real water, and when he drowned, like, did, did Mashiach pull him up, and he was soaked, and then by the time he got in the boat, he was dry again? Like, these are just things I think about, because it's like, you you almost drowned, bro. Like, you almost died. Like, you okay, Aki? You know, and it's just like, yeah, I'm fine. You know, and it's just like, okay, well, all right, let's go to Shakari now. Rukashim. Anyway, verse 33, the final verse. This is the big one. It says, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, you really are Ben Elohim. Did you know, son of God, is Jewish terminology. If a Jew says son of God, 
What they're really mentioning is that you are the king of Israel. You're literally God's manifestation upon the earth who sits upon the throne that leads the nation who is supposed to be the light to the whole entire world. That's really what they're saying. So the last time people worshipped Hashem in a boat like that was in the story of Jonah. When it was stormy and tumultuous waves and lots of wind going on, these Gentiles decided to bless Hashem instead of throwing Jonah overboard. Jonah was like, guys, just throw me overboard. They're like, no, we're going to do some other stuff. We're going to cast lots. Okay, no, we're going to bless Hashem. Like, who's Hashem? I don't know. We're about to find out, I guess. He's like, guys, throw me over. It's like, I don't know what to do. Baruch Atah da 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 Like, and they were just going. And it was finally like, okay, well, we've done everything. We even made vows to go convert when, when we get off this boat. And it's like, okay, I guess the last thing we need to do is just throw Jonah over. They threw Jonah over. The wind ceased. And the big fish came, got Jonah. We never heard about the Gentiles again. But we know from their oaths that they made to Hashem that they did convert once they hit land. So now you got these people who were formerly Gentiles, now they're Jews, and it all came through an incident of a storm on a boat. So, yeah, so Ben Elohim, son of God. All right, so if you look at the footnote on this, it points you to Mishle 30, verse 4. Mishle 30, verse 4 says, Who, brackets, but Moshe, ascended to heaven and descended, who also gathered the wind in his palm. Okay, Moshe definitely did not do that. Who else tied the waters in a cloak? Who established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name? If you know. The side little title here says human wisdom is extremely limited. Trust in God's word. And that was what I was just saying before. You look at the logistics and all the things of your life. You try to figure all that stuff out. It's just way easier to trust in God. He's got it. He's put you in that situation. So now let's tackle these big questions because it started off being like, okay, this is a Moshe drop, isn't it? This is a Moshe drop. It's like, Okay, well, yeah, he did ascend to heaven and descend and all that. But uh, gathering the wind in the palm, the water in the cloak, establish all the ends of the earth. I don't think Moshe did. Uh, no, that's okay. We talking about something else. This escalated real quickly. Let's look at the commentary from Shomer Blue, which is the art scroll commentary on Mishle. It says the translation follows Rashi. Who identifies the speaker as Shlomo? Okay, so Rashi's like, Shlomo is dropping this down. Says, who continues his above confession by allegorically listing miracles performed by Moshe, who brought the Torah to Israel? Moshe ascended to heaven and brought the Torah down to earth. See Shemot 19.3. What I love about this is Shaul makes this same declaration about Mashiach. So when you really look at it, Moshe going up and bringing the Torah down to earth, and it says in the Romans passage, let me just go there. Got it in front of me. I might as well just read it. 
It says, uh, for the scripture says, way up top. Okay, it's in verse six. The righteousness based on faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will go up into heaven, that is to bring Mashiach down, or who will go down into the abyss, that is to bring Mashiach up from the dead. If you really think about putting these two commentaries together, it's literally saying Moshe ascended and brought Mashiach down from Shemaim. Because Mashiach is the Torah. Because it says who ascended that he brings Mashiach down. Who will go up? Okay, Romans 10, 6. Who will go up into heaven? That is to bring Mashiach down. I.e. Moshe ascending and descending, that's to bring Mashiach down, which is the Torah. That's why it's important to know Mashiach is the Torah in the form and in the likeness of a man, i.e. the second Adam. The first Adam was supposed to be the embodiment of Torah, but something happened. So anyway, continuing on, it says he controlled the winds when he threw in the air furnace suit. Now, I love this. So, Zim Zoom creation, right? So, shrink down, uh, compress, or uh, what is it? Contract the whole idea and concept of creating the heavens and the earth. Contract that down into creating the heavens and the earth in the form of doing the plagues. So, 10 utterances brought forth creation. Ten plagues brought forth redemption. So on a small scale, Moshe is doing what the Torah did to bring forth creation. So the Torah is the one who ascended to heaven and descended. But the Torah created heaven. So really, what does that even mean? The Torah gathered the wind in its palm. The Torah tied the waters in its cloak. And the Torah established the ends of the earth. The Torah has the name of Hashem. The Torah is the son of Hashem. And the Torah is knowing Hashem. So that's Mishle 34, Shomer Man, Midrash style. Just connecting all these dots. So now overlay that. And now instead of saying Torah, let's look at Moshe and the plagues. It says he controlled the winds when he threw into the air the furnace suit, which brought boils and blisters on the Egyptians. Shemot 9, 8 through 10. He split the sea and the waters formed a wall, Shemot 15.8. He solidified the bases of the world when he erected the tabernacle. Say what? Solidified the bases of the world by erecting the tabernacle. So because Moshe erected the tabernacle, it was considered as if he established the ends of the earth. I don't know what to do with that besides throwing my book, which I'm not going to do because I'm going to use a whole lot of self-control, but I will throw this furniture. It says, alternatively, the last clause means that Moshe fortified the pillars of the world when he accepted the Torah. According to the view that Agur was a contemporary of Shlomo, these questions demonstrate the futility of philosophical inquiry. This right here is why the Greco-Roman Western mind 
pales and fails and is utterly useless when it comes to applying it to the word of God. Why? Because it says philosophical inquiry is futility. It's futility. So if you don't have a Jewish mind, you need to get one. Selah. Way too late for that, but yeah, I'm saying it now. It's better late than never. The I'm going to say this statement again. Because this is from Kad Hakemak. Again, this is from the, the Art Scroll commentary to, to Mishle. The attempt to delve into phi- philosophical matters with... Okay, wait. These questions demonstrate the futility of philosophical inquiry. Yeah, that's the statement. F- the futility of philosophical inquiry or in- inquiry... The attempt to delve into philosophical matters without a Torah basis will, everybody say will, lead to prohibited conjectures. This is why people think Mark 7 is about food being clean, Uh, like whether it's pork or whether it's shrimp or if it's brisket or whatever. This is why people think Acts chapter 10 is talking about getting rid of kosher eating. This is why people think Acts chapter 15 is all about Noahides. Yes, this is what really goes on in the world. Why? Because of the futility of philosophical inquiry and the philosophical matters that are being delved into without a Torah basis. If you have a base in Torah, you can read Mark 7 all day and not even talk about food. Anyway, a person should therefore concentrate on attaining fear of Hashem and performing his mitzvot. According to Mary, the first question asked who entered the heavenly realms of mystical study and returned undamaged. That would be Rabbi Akiva, of course. The last three questions challenge the natural philosopher. Who understands the science of air as if it were in his hands? Who understands the cycles of water rising to the clouds to pour forth blessing onto the land, i.e. rain? Who understands the nature of the land which remains still without shaking? I mean, because technically, if you think about it, there should be earthquakes everywhere. With everything that's going on beneath the surface of the earth, are you kidding me? But I digress. So may it be soon in our days that we see the face of our Mashiach with the resurrection of the dead and the return of the exiles to Eretz Israel to Yerushalayim Har Habayit, with the building of the Beit Hamikdash Bimhera Ve'Amenu Baruch Haba B'Shem Adonai. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu Torah temet, vekaye olam natabetokeinu. Baruch atah Adonai, noten ha Torah. Amen.